Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 46. I'm your host, Pavel Braminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to stampprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Peter Sishaki. Peter, after many years at one of Canada's leading insurance companies, started the Everything Financial Group in 1996. His vision was to create an all-in-one financial experience for his clients where he could build trusted long-term relationships by providing complete financial strategies and solutions for financial peace of mind. In 1997, Peter completed the Certified Financial Planner course and is a member of Advocates and Independent Financial Brokers of Canada. In 2004, Peter completed his registered health underwriting, RHU, certification, and in 2005, he received his branch manager designation from Investment Funds Institute of Canada. Peter is also certified as registered financial planner, RFP, with the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners, IFP. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Peter, I'm very excited to have you on. I was looking forward to this interview, so let's uh, let's dive in. So tell me a little bit about uh, a little bit more about your firm. So what do you do? Who do you serve? Our firm is a fee-for-service financial planning firm. We are 100% independent, and what we do, the only thing we do, is create financial plans for clients. We have a proprietary system we created that took years to develop called the Omni Formula, and it's really specifically a financial plan. We get a lot of people who come across our, our desks who will come from, let's just say, other institutions, the big institutions, etc. And they'll say, well, I have a financial plan and they'll show them to us. And 99% of what I see out there is not financial plans, but actually projections, which is fine if you want to know, you know, I have this much in RSP and I'm going to deposit this much. And oh, if I apply this interest rate, here's what it's going to be worth down the road. That doesn't tell you what you're going to need, how long the money's going to last, how to take advantage of taxes, et cetera. So we do really full fee-for-service financial planning. We treat anybody. We have a philosophy that we will not turn away any client. We accept everybody. If we feel a person is not right for us, we'll tell them that since we don't have to take every client. But we encourage everyone to go out and get a financial plan. A lot of people think you don't have to do it you know, when they don't have any money or when you're just starting out. And that's exactly when you should do the financial plan to make sure you get on the right track right from the beginning. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm not going to ask you about licensing because we'll come back to that in a second because I remember the presentation that you did at uh, the recent conference. We'll come back to that. But but tell me a little bit more of just why does this business exist for you? Like why does this work matter to you? Why does it matter? For a few reasons. I, I love the the people I meet and the clients we get to help. When I get to see a client and you know they thank you because you tell them they can retire and they start to reach their dreams. That's one thing. And and that's self-satisfying for sure and and satisfying to see the look on their face. Also, though, with clients, simple things like when you're able to say to them, look, one of our things we talk about is the work-optional lifestyle that I created. And what that means is people always get focused on when they talk about financial planning, they get focused on retirement. And I tell people, retire a little bit every day. What I mean is when you're in your 30s, you should put it in your plan that you're going to take one of those retirement holidays now, not 30 years from now, because frankly, you don't know if you'll be alive 30 years from now, and you don't know what your health will be like 30 years from now. 
So when I can get people to change their outlook on life and start to enjoy their money while they're young and healthy, that's huge satisfaction. That's that's the one thing. The other thing about it is the the opportunities it creates for our staff and their families. Help them build a career where they can do things maybe they never thought they'd be able to do. And they build, you know, a very good career and they get the satisfaction of helping people. And, you know, people say always, and this happened at the conference recently, where people go, well, who's on your team and and how is your team and and so on and so on. And I don't look at the people I work with as a team, they're family. I mean, they really are family. And if you want to work at our firm, you definitely have to fit in as family or it doesn't work because we're not there to just have a job. And just having a career isn't enough. It's really a family and we treat our treat our clients like their family as well. And you build those relationships with them where a lot of people who became clients now end up being your best friends. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you highlighted that because I think uh, you know when, when growing uh, companies and it doesn't have to be in the financial services, people don't really often talk about you know just uh, staff and their careers and what uh, you know how this is going to impact uh, the employees of the of the company. Right? It's about the growth. It's about you know, new clients possibly. But uh, I, I really like this this perspective. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, just the structure or the changing structure of your business and especially licensing. And just to give a little bit of more context for the listeners. And first of all, uh, uh, I think we interacted, uh, you know, a couple of years ago for the first time. But at first time, I think I, I listened to your presentation at the recent conference. This was the IFP symposium, and you gave a, pre- a presentation on the topic changing from a mutual fund business to a fee-for-service business with a referral agreement using an ICPM company. And when I watched you present, I was uh, I was really impressed with the clarity, the tr- transparency as well of, of the language and and how you basically call the different things in the industry. You've been in this industry for 28 years, so you've seen the evolution. And I think you've worked out a system that works extremely well and really removes a lot of conflicts of interest, potentially maybe all conflicts of interest. But let's maybe break this down. Tell me a little bit more about you know, how did you go about the transition from the MFDA? And I think there was an IROC maybe at some point as well. And then how did you arrive in ICPM? Sure. Late 2010, early 2011, I was just looking at what am I going to do in my business to change things or advance I'm always looking at what can we do better. And so what I was looking at doing is going from MFDA to IROC simply so we didn't always have to be giving away that stock component of the business when clients came to us and said, I want to hold this stock or I want to do this stock. We're looking at changing our firm. We were partway through doing the paperwork to make those changes. And I got approached by an ICPM company, or as we say for short, portfolio management company about moving my business to them and completely eliminating the management, if you will, or the, the, the mutual fund picking, the, you know, et cetera. No, I wasn't doing the business that way then. I only dealt with three mutual fund companies. We dealt with six mutual funds total, and we only had six portfolios. You got one of those portfolios, depending on your risk analysis. So I didn't realize I was kind of running my company, similar to what a portfolio management company does, except with all the trials, tribulations, and administration of running mutual funds and all the trades you have to do, et cetera. Just the administration was just so incredibly daunting. It was You spent all your time doing administration where we couldn't spend as much time as I wanted doing financial plans. So I was approached by these companies, uh, had a look at what they did, and made the move. And even though we were halfway between 
making a move from MFDA to IROC. We stopped all paperwork and completely changed direction overnight and went to the independent ICPM portfolio management model. And what it's done since then is allowed us, well, we've grown 500% to 600%, somewhere right in there since 2011, for one thing. So that part's good for us and all our staff. We've Our client base has grown immensely. But what we've done is gone from doing you know a few financial plans every month to doing a few financial plans every day for people. So there's always people in the works who are designing plans for it. And that's been a huge reward. And that's the biggest growth in business because we really are a true financial planning firm. And everyone says they're financial planners. You hear that word financial plan or financial advisor thrown around, you know, like it's yesterday's news. Everyone's using it. Absolutely. Except what we find is the majority of 90 something percent are either mutual fund salespeople or they're insurance salespeople. They don't do any plans. And when I talk in public, I talk on the radio to people. I, one of the things I say to them to kind of empower them is say, if the person says they're a financial planner, ask them to see a financial plan. They should have one at their disposal right away. And if the financial plan is just a bunch of projections, projections are great. That's the research that goes into a financial plan. That's not the plan itself. That's absolutely makes sense, right? So, so let's dive a little bit deeper into it because, and again, I think I'm just going to assume, and I've always had this assumption that our audience is intelligent, but maybe not informed. Because after your presentation, you time we had your presentation, I actually talked with a couple of other folks, you know, a couple of other advisors in the industry, and talked about that option. And because I was surprised why this option doesn't exist, or 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 it's maybe not. It, of course, it exists, right? It exists for you. Maybe other some other regulator. It definitely exists. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely exists. I mean, the there could be some different regulatory challenges in different uh, jurisdictions. I think. Especially the referral portion, I think there was a legislation in Ontario a couple of years ago, and I, that potentially was going to impact that. It just got squashed. No, it just got taken out of the next. Uh, this week, it just got taken. Out. Those few sentences just got taken out of the the next version, if you will, about referral ranges. But do you, do you want to know why it doesn't it, it doesn't exist, or a lot of people don't do it? Tell me. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the main reasons why. Because I hear this from people. There's a couple of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is ego. And I heard this at the conference where people afterwards, I was stopped by it. Lots of people wanting to know more information about how to do this. The biggest reason is ego. They think they can do a better job than the portfolio management companies. There's people out there who are actually running their business like portfolio management companies, Mm -hmm. but they don't have a staff of 400 people researching the portfolios, Mm -hmm. diving in, figuring out what can be done. They don't do active management. They don't have a staff who can sit there and make changes with full discretionary power, but they think they can. So they'll run mutual fund dealers like portfolio, like I used to do, except mm-hmm. I didn't know there was an alternative. <laughs> so um, that's one thing. They think they can do better. The other thing is commission. They, I still can't believe this exists in Canada, but they don't want to give up the deferred sales commission. They don't want to give up that big charge. I, I had a gentleman, and we won't say from which firm, but who was very interested in that. And the first thing I say to people when they kind of, they take me for lunch and they want to pick my brain and I'm always open to that on how to do this. I never say no to them. And first thing I said is, what do you care most about your paycheck or your clients? And and everyone gives you the token answer, my clients. And then you get halfway through lunch or through this interview process with them and you find out, yeah, but how can I make the change? I still have to 
I still have to pay my bills. I still have to do this. And you know what? It always comes down to money. They, the thing is when you deal with portfolio management and you are paid a referral fee, it can take you 15 months to 18 months. Let's say you're getting 1%, just use that as an example, in a referral fee. So you're doing a split with the portfolio management company. It can take you 15 to 18 months to get that full 1% from the time you meet the client to the time the assets are in place because you're only getting you know, a portion, say, every quarter. So you're not getting the money up front. But with mutual funds and you make that sale and you get your deferred sales commission, you're getting a ton of money in your pocket right away. And I hear advisors justify it. They say, well, look at the work I'm doing. But they don't do any work for the client because they're out gathering the next set of assets. As I, I say to people, mutual fund salespeople are like hockey card collectors. They're just going to collect the next card. And once they have that card, they're going on to collect the next card. That's the way they see assets. And once it's done, they don't do planning. They barely do reviews. The clients generally, the biggest complaint I get is they don't see the person again. They all sound good at the beginning. We're going to do a plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. They don't see them. So the the one part is it's ego. It's greed on the money. And then further down the list is they don't realize it exists. They don't. They think portfolio management is for million dollar plus clients. So they they look at they talk to some of these companies, and they say, "Well, can you help me with a big case?" And and I know the portfolio management companies tell them, "Well, sure, I can help you with the big case, but why don't you move all your clients to this way?" Well, I can't do that. And they're told they can. There's companies from zero dollars all the way up that you can use. We use three portfolio management companies in Canada. One basically, you know, from right from the beginning and then one all the way up. Let's stop here for a second because I think I think there's I, I want to make comments as we go along here because this is really, really interesting and I appreciate the transparency. So, you know, there's nothing we can do about ego and you know commissions being you know really commission focused because you know and those those people probably won't stay in business for too too long given what's happening, right? But I think I want to focus a little bit more about just a lot of people don't realize it exists. And of course, the gentleman I was speaking with, you know, he pointed out to some of the legal challenges, especially in Ontario, but you'll clarify this earlier. So that's that's great. So hopefully that's not an impediment anymore. But I want to talk about the fee structure and, and everything, how you how you basically break it down, because I think there's a lot more people that basically don't realize or maybe think that's just a little bit too challenging. But but on a high level, I want to talk a little bit about the benefits. And you know, let's talk about the benefits of you know why portfolio managers, like what are the benefits to the client? Let's just break this down very clearly. What is the benefit of the client? What is the benefit to the advisor? And then hopefully you can get into the fee structure and all the other elements that if people are interested in implementing that model, moving closer to that model, they can follow along. Okay. A portfolio management company is the one company that's actually a true fiduciary. Their total responsibility is to the client, not to the advisor. They have to do always what's in the client's best interest. The other thing with a portfolio manager, the benefits are you have active management of portfolios, not passive management. So someone is actually managing the portfolio on a daily basis, making the changes that need to be made to help the client reach the goals and help the portfolio reach its goals. They're they're true licensed money managers who have the education to actually be portfolio managers. Uh, one of the other big things is benefits is 100% transparency on fees. They have to let you know of every fee, not just an MER. Well, mutual fund people don't even have to do that, but they do. Right. But they have to let you know. So 100% disclosure. 100% disclosure. And here's one of the big ones. 
on non-registered investments, the fees are 100% tax deductible. That is a massive benefit because you can make money on investments. Sometimes <laughs> we know what the market's like. Sometimes it's yeah. not the easiest thing in the world. But imagine if you can save 2% on fees across the board, you're already ahead. Then imagine if some of those fees are tax deductible. You might already have 3 4% in your pocket before we even worry about what the market's going to do. That's yep. a, then the market becomes a bonus. You're already on your way. So okay. those are some of the, the biggest differences right away, just a few right off the top between them and you know the traditional way of doing business right and what about the benefits of the client right because you know all the way from just reporting and you mentioned the fee which is great and like what are the if you're going to contrast this with a with a mutual fund let's say dealer i mean you can still do the maybe portfolio management activities within mfda platform but you're so limited right but i just want to drive a little bit deeper into the benefits also to the client so we mentioned the conflict of interest that's that's perfect and we'll come back to the structure you know how you fit in the structure to in it is there anything else in terms of you know, reporting. What else? Well, the, the transparency of fees is great for the client too, obviously. So these things work hand in hand. That's a huge thing for the client. Now, here's the other thing. That's a pro and a con because when the clients move over to the portfolio management model, they're not used to seeing fees. So suddenly a client will go, oh my gosh, I paid that much in fees that quarter. And you have to remind them, well, wait a minute, that's half of what you were paying before. And so what we always do with our clients is we keep, well, first off, we disclose their existing fees to them. We have software we use to show them what the fees are in their existing mutual fund setup mm -hmm. as best you can because trading fees and taxes are never even shown. They're there, but the mutual fund people don't even know what they are. So you show them the fees as best you can, the management, the MER versus the portfolio management. That's the one thing, transparency. Tax deduction is another huge benefit. Mm -hmm. I mean, with people with non-registered portfolios, that makes a massive benefit to them. And then the other part is everything is personalized. They are designing, this is, the I think, the biggest one personally. They're designing portfolios exactly for that person's situation. I'll give you a really brief example so you can ask me more stuff. But what we do is we design a financial plan, figure out what you need, and then the portfolio manager will design a portfolio to fit that plan not the other way around. So if you only need 4% to reach your goals, why would you chase a mutual fund portfolio of 6 7 8%? Get the portfolio manager to design a portfolio that has low risk, low volatility, you know, to chase that 4%, let's say. The lower the volatility. Right, so plan first, portfolio second. Oh yeah, and then and then and then portfolio I mean, the lower the, port, the lower the volatility, the more accurate you're going to be. Right. It may not always be right, but you're going to be close. Absolutely. Very cool. So let's talk about the, the fee structure. I think, uh, you know, some of the objections or, or concerns for people thinking about this model maybe is that, that, you know, what about smaller clients, right? And you have an interesting structure, you work with different firms. So can you tell me, you know, how much you're actually charging? What is the total, total fee to the client? And how you work with different different institutions, different organizations who basically manage the portfolio for clients. So it makes so, yeah. so it makes it effective basically for you and for the client and and for them as well. All the portfolio companies we use publish that they will not charge more than two point five percent. That's two point five percent all in, all trading, all custodian fees, you name it, everything in there, including what's paid to the advisor. That's all in where. You know, when you see an MER in a mutual fund company and you see, oh, what well, my mutual fund MER is only 
you know, 2.25%. Well, that's better. Well, that's the only fee they're telling you. You haven't seen all the other fees. So first off, that's the maximum, though. I don't know if any of them actually charge that fee. The average fee, let's just say, is around 2% all in. Now, from that 2%, they pay us our referral fee. So on clients of under a million dollars, we collect 1% across the board. That's, that's what we charge for doing our planning. It's 1%. So, and we, and we tell the client that. So when we do fee-for-service financial planning, we don't bill the client. What we do is we say, this is the value of what a plan will cost. This is how much we're going to charge yearly for updates. And we disclose what we're getting paid from the portfolio management company. And that goes towards the client's financial plan. And sometimes it's less than what we're charging. Sometimes it's more, but then we provide other services to make up for the money. So full disclosure, let's just say 2% is the norm. I do know in cases where it's, you know, one and a half percent. I do know of a few firms where they do some specialized investing where it's two and a quarter percent, but 2.5 is always the ceiling that I've seen from everybody. Right. So it's typically it's just kind of 1% goes to you basically and 1% is for portfolio management typically. Okay. And and how does this differ? Because, you know, you mentioned under 1 million, right? So, and how does this differ? How is the different, you know, 1 million plus? Is is there a few reduction? It goes lower. It goes, it it gets reduced. It it gets reduced to the million, gets reduced to 2 million, then it gets reduced even more at 5 million. Because for me to do a financial plan for someone with $2 million versus a million dollars, well, it's the same amount of work. It's not going to really be any different. So why should I collect way more money? So I don't. So I'm collecting kind of the, close to the same amount of money. We do provide some other legal things and some other tax things for clients of over $2 million. So the little bit extra we're getting there goes to provide other services for the clients that they need at that stage. So instead of them paying them themselves, we'll take care of them in-house instead. Perfect. And, and how and how much is the fee reduction later on at two and five? Because and is this the same fee reduction for portfolio management and for your services, or does this kind of it varies? Oh, well, both of us reduce. So you're you're getting a half a percent reduction, and then at, at two, and then another half a percent reduction at, at five. So you're up around five million dollars. You're paying about one percent total. Makes sense. Okay. And uh, fully tax deductible and fully transparent. Tell me about the the reporting. What the client uh, gets in terms of uh, the reporting from you and from and from the portfolio management company. Well, the client has twenty four seven access to all their accounts online. They can see values, trades, everything twenty four seven. They can log in with a secure site from the portfolio management company and see what they have. Also, portfolio management companies send out monthly statements. Mm-hmm. The clients can choose to receive the monthly statements by email if they wish, so they're not inundated with paperwork. They also get a complete, very in-depth review every quarter. Uh, that's a quite a quite a detailed package. Instead of just being a statement, it's a completely detailed package of their their performance, their trades, you name it. It's uh, historical numbers. I mean, they're quite long. And with um, the larger clients, just because of it works for me convenience-wise, the portfolio management company I use that's over a million dollars, the vice president of that company is actually in Vancouver, where I work from. So she actually comes out on those quarterly meetings and meets with the clients and goes through the quarterly reports to help them through it. We also do, because it's so transparent and the reporting is so good, we do a complete review of the financial plan, not the investments, 
because people, you want to differ between those two things, the actual full financial plan every year. That's one of the things we mandate with our client. You must have a review of the plan every year, but we'll review the investments, say, every quarter for the larger clients. The smaller clients, every six months, usually, we do a full review. That makes sense. And I think you mentioned this at the presentation as well, that there's a lot less administration cost with non-mutual fund service. So so the, essentially, you have basically more time, right? Because there's less cost, there's more time. Absolutely. You, can, you can do more for your clients. Yeah, you're, you're hiring a firm to do the administration. They're, they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it makes way more sense. Yeah, and one other thing about the cost. I mean, think like the one thing that I really appreciate about your presentation is that when you look at the fees, some some may get maybe an insight into or maybe a thought that you know what, maybe it's under two and a half percent for sure. Average is two percent, especially between zero to a million. It's not cheap when you, for example, compare this with you know I don't know Rob Advisors ETF products as well. But I think you really well articulated, and I think you were very confident about the value that you deliver, and you can really show the the, the value that you know some people who are thinking about making this transition they struggle with basically internally with thinking that you know can I really provide as much value to charge one percent, especially if somebody else is doing the full portfolio management? Have you encountered those kind of objections? And what do you think about that? Not once, because we practice what we preach. We provide the plan. But I get it. If you're not if you're not providing this value-added service of doing a true financial plan, and you are charging that fee, that's disgusting. That, that's just brutal. If you're not doing, but I see this all the time, where people are charging fees or charging commissions, and they don't do anything. They think it's because the client is so lucky to have you as an advisor. I use that term loosely, um, that you should get to collect this massive fee. If you're going to collect a fee, do something for the person. Don't just sit there. And, and when I say do something, I don't mean fund pick and rate chase and think you've put together a good mutual fund portfolio for them. Actually do something for the money you earn that's going to benefit that client. And that's where, you know, when I don't have any clients who sit there and don't think it's worth it. And if they if they don't think the plan we're doing is worth it, I would not begrudge them one second moving on to somewhere else and take their money and go elsewhere. If you don't think you're getting value, why would I want you as a client? And why would I want you to be there if you don't want to be there? Just for the sake of me collecting you know, 1%, you know what? Because my time is better served by those clients we can help and who appreciate the help and who are getting something from it. And the, the biggest thing we do is not doing the plan. The biggest thing we do is constantly educating our clients to empower them to take charge of it. It's their money. It's not mine. It's just, they have to realize they're getting something from it and appreciate what they're getting so that they can keep moving forward in their life. So provide the service clients will find it's worth it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's another thing you mentioned in your presentation that I, I want to mention is that you mentioned acting as a fiduciary without the legal obligations of being a fiduciary, especially, you know, the portfolio management companies, they are legally fiduciary, right? They have to act in the best interest of the clients. Correct. They are. Absolutely. Yep. But you are not. But still, you are basically like, you know, everybody says, or I don't say everybody, but a lot of people say, yes, I'm acting in the best interest of the client. But you know what? It blurs. It's, it's and, and, and in, in, in a way, how you think about it, it's very black and white. I mean, it's, it's basically you're acting as a fiduciary without the legal obligation of being a fiduciary, which is you know, which is great, and it's a long-term view, positive view of on, on growing the firm. Yeah, talk is cheap, isn't it? It's easy to say it, but you have to do it <laughs> for sure. And the other thing is, I want to also highlight is that I, I think the role of a planner is uh, or an advisor in your practice is a little different, right? You're basically you're you're not the one who's doing actually the portfolio management.
management work, you're more of a quarterback, right? You're just organized, like if you're just a project manager and you're basically making sure everything is in place, you know, the plan is in place, the, everybody is, is, is working on the individual pieces of the plan, everything is implemented. So how do you think, like, do you think that your, your practice changed internally because of the transition to your current model? Oh, huge. It, it changed huge. I mean, where I've gone in the last nine years, eight and a half years since we started doing plans, to where we are now, the transformation. I look back and I think sometimes I pinch myself and say, "How did I get here? Like, how did this? The, like, what I've been working on since the '90s when I started everything financial to where we are now. It's like that overnight success took 20 years to build, yep. kind of thing, or 23 years to date. It's interesting because we have no salary. We have no um, sorry commission salespeople at our firm, but all salaried employees. And how we operate is you may come in and have. One of my associate advisors working with you today, you may have me working with you tomorrow and someone else working with you the next day because, they again, check your ego at the door because no one is one person's client at our firm. The client is is every, is for everybody. Like we there as advisors are there to service everybody. So the way we record everything, the way we keep the notes, the way we're trained it's a very specific process, as I, as I always say to people, us building a plan is like building a Big Mac. And there's a bad reference, maybe, if you're not into fast food, but there's one process That's to awesome. do it. It's always the same process. Yes, the numbers are different. The stories are different from the client, but it's the same process. So, so we can service more clients and do a better job and make sure no one falls through the cracks Everyone is involved. Now, me as the senior person, the, the president of the company, et cetera, I go through every financial plan. I work on every financial plan, and I'm the one who does the final tweaks, if you will. I'm the one who completes the final recommended plan, but the data entry, et cetera, gathering of information, et cetera, is done by different associate advisors. I generally have one advisor who will work with me with every client. So if I'm not there, because remember, we have multiple offices, so I travel between offices. Mm -hmm. But that way, if someone phones in and they need to see someone right away, they've got a face, someone they're familiar with other than me on the other end of the phone who they can talk to or they can see when they come in the office. But our clients have become used to that, that way we do business, that they will come in and visit with anybody because they know it's all being looked after in their best interest because no one is there to pad their commission pocket. They're all getting paid regardless. And it's turned out very well, and the clients love it. So tell me about the biggest challenges. You know, It took a while to get to where right now. And you know you're a great spot right now, of course. But tell me, you know, what was the what was the biggest challenge to basically get you what, where you are today? Biggest challenge is I, I really is a lot of the trial and error of finding out what system of doing things and what order work for us. It was a challenge at first figuring out the best way to do the paperwork to move from MFDA slash IROC over to portfolio management. To do it again, I've helped other advisors now do this and, and show them how to do it because now we have it down to a fine art. It can be done very quickly and very smoothly. But the biggest challenge is too was actually, I think, was des and it's still a challenge to this day, is designing our proprietary system, our Omni formula, the plan, putting the plan in front of the clients where they can understand it. So it's gone through a lot of revisions 
to get it to a system where the client finds it easy to understand and finds it beneficial. And it's still to this day, if I go through a plan with a client and there's something they don't really comprehend or understand, we change it. We're always changing and adapting to meet our client's needs and help our client understand things easiest. That's that's the internal challenge, if you will. The external challenge I have, and it's my biggest beef, if you will, is what's going on in our industry and the lack of disclosure and transparency in other firms in our industry and and answering those questions for people where they're literally given wrong information. I don't want to say people are lying to them, though I did see that a few weeks ago in a case, which if you want to get into, I'll tell you what was said. So people will just will, will roll your eyes. Mm-hmm. But where other advisors are so uninformed that they will give information that is not true, that's not because they're lying to the clients. It's because they don't know any better or, or haven't been told any different. And I still, in this day and age, I find that so frustrating yeah, that that yeah. goes on. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, we can talk about this offline as well, but it's it makes sense. I mean, if you have partial disclosure, if you don't have 100% disclosure, it basically lets, leads to systemic issues. And, and that's why we're so far behind as Canada in this industry. And, and, and I'm super frustrated about this as well, the more I learn about this. But, it, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, what can we focus on? Like we can portray and, and put spotlight on people like yourself and other who are basically showing that there is another way of doing things. And there is a, it's good for the clients, good for the firm. It's, uh, it's uh, good for everybody. It's just basically triple win-win. And, uh, you know, it may take a little bit more effort. And of course, it's new, right? So if you're just two, two years from retirement, you may not want to do that. And I, I get it, right? I totally get it. For some people, it may not be worth it, but there are other options, right? And I really uh, applaud that you are so involved in the industry and, and helping other people to see that there's a different path. Because that's, uh, again, I mean, some of them, they're just blindsided. They just don't even know. And, and you know, it's who is, who is to blame. I mean, of course, they're not taking action, but, you know, there's no information. And then there's a lot of inertia in, in the market. So what else do you think is the most misunderstood when it comes to wealth management just in Canada here, just from, you know, industry perspective or, or client's perspective? Is there anything else there? What's the most misunderstood? Geez, that's a good one. I think I think misunderstood is people think that their their financial advisors are actually really doing financial planning. Again, as we said, the majority are mutual fund salespeople. I think one of the misunderstood things is actually dealing with that is people think mutual funds are the only way to buy investments. I think that's actually the most misunderstood. They they think because their financial planner advisor, again, use that term loosely, is providing mutual funds, that's, that's the only way. People don't realize there is a more transparent, lower cost way to do business that is truly in their best interest, and they don't get it. The other misunderstood thing is People think that dealing with an independent firm, they are not protected. And and part of this is because the banks are telling them they're not protected. People think the banks is the only way you're protected and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, there's still lots of protection. You're still using a custodian or a vault, if you will, which we, you know, to keep the money. Whereas people don't realize they're just as protected going to independent firms as they are going to banks. Matter of fact, they're more protected because things are fully transparent where they're not 
at major institutions. So that that's part of the misconception, I think, that's out there. That's one of the biggest things, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of client acquisition, I mean, at this point, you've been in the business for such a long time, so you probably try different things or many different strategies and approaches. So what uh, what do you do right now? Look, how, how do you typically acquire clients right now? Do you do this passively? Do you do this actively? How clients find you? Well, they find us on the internet. <laughs> that's a lot of times, but we, we get a lot of referrals from clients. I also do a daily radio show for a few minutes every morning in Vancouver on a sports network of all things where I talk, but I don't talk about my company. I, I, it was the deal I made when I started with TSN doing this radio show that it was not going to be a stock tip show or a investment tip show. And it's definitely not a show about everything financial. The show is designed to educate people and I encourage them to go out and ask questions. I'm encouraging them to ask the questions they didn't even know they were supposed to ask and they didn't even know how to ask. And if they don't get right answers, look for another advisor who will answer those questions. So from that show, obviously, there's a spinoff that we get a certain amount of clients from that show, uh, even though the show is not an everything financial show, it's an information show. But we do get a lot of calls from people who hear hear me on the air from that show. But I think I think referrals is still our referral network. We don't even ask for referrals. You know the old adage when you're with an insurance company, always ask a client for three referrals and this and that to grow your business. We don't ask clients for any referrals. The referrals just naturally come. We get we get a referral call probably every day. And so clients, when you're doing a true financial plan, something that's truly in the client's best interest, and you prove that you say you're going to do this and then you actually do it, mm-hmm. they will refer clients to you all the time. It, it never ends. We, we also get a lot of part of our business is we look after a lot of companies where we do their health and dental benefits, mm-hmm. and we provide this financial planning service for their employees. So a lot of the employees take advantage of this where we waive the fee for service aspect because we're getting paid a commission in this case, you do get paid from the benefits when you do health and dental benefits. So if we're getting paid, we should provide something and just putting it to play, putting in place a plan. So we encourage the employees to come and we tell them the real money on your health and dental isn't made from us putting a health and dental plan in place. The real money is made by the products and services we'll provide for your employees. And so we get a lot of the employees who come and take advantage of that to do some planning for their families. Makes sense. So Peter, a couple of questions here before we wrap up. So any tips for new advisors joining the industry? So if you were going to start over today, how would you start in this industry? I would have left the insurance company I worked with for the first six years a lot earlier and gotten independent, honestly. But I did get a lot of good training. Look for an independent firm first off if you're starting new who has a mentorship program where they will teach you the basics right from day one. It would take a whole other show to te- to tell someone what to ask, <laughs> really the questions to ask if they were starting out. But that's really, look to be mentored by a senior person where you can be an associate advisor. Even start at an administration level and learn the business from the ground up. Mm-hmm. That's one way to start in this business. That would be the best way. Look at constantly educating yourself constantly taking courses to learn more. I think a good way to start this business is a lot of the local universities or colleges. I know in Vancouver, there's one has a financial planning management course, Mm -hmm. which is a great way to get some basic education in the business. The only, and I've gone through and seen the presentations at the end of it. The only downside is they're being run by the insurance companies a lot of times, which they have their place for sure. 
but it's all insurance-based sales and planning. So a lot of seg fund-based stuff. So they're really selling based on product selling, not solution selling. So actually, there's one. When you're looking at getting into the business and you're, you're interviewing with firms, ask if, every, if their compensation is based on product sales or ask if it's based on solution-based selling for clients. And then you'll see what's in the client's best interest. And you may have to go to a product-based business first before you can move on to a solution-based business just to you know, get your education, get your feet wet, as it were. But always be looking to move to that independent model because you know that's where the future is in this business. That's where the client's best interests are going to be served. And do you want to just be a salesperson or do you want to be a solutions person? That's the difference. Yeah, that's great. And a lot of people say that, you know, just join at a firm, just have, make sure there's mentorship and so on. But you actually pointed out that, you know, before you join a firm, just make sure also that they operate in a way that you want to operate in the future. So that's that's a great insight and in terms of how you identify potential opportunities for you. And a couple of other things, Peter. So I know we have a lot of projects on the go, but uh, you know, what are some of the projects that you're most excited uh, in your business right now over the next you know, six or 12 months? Is there anything? Yeah, we actually have right now a couple firms from doing talks like this and talking about being independent who are actually looking at setting up everything financial offices in their cities to actually grow the word of everything financial group and how we do business, kind of like a franchise model up in there. So that's our company was designed to be a franchise model. And we've got two firms right now in other cities talking about doing that. So those are projects that we're doing over the next six months to get these firms set up to move forward. So that's kind of, it's exciting for us. It's exciting for them. And, and this is companies who are mutual fund firms who want to leave the mutual fund industry and become independent. And they, and they just said, rather than take the next five, 10 years to kind of go through all the steps and, and missteps, as it were, they figured they'll just advance their firms five or 10 years and just join everything financial and use our model in their own cities. So that's kind of what we're doing over the next six months to a year that we think is exciting for us and exciting for them. Cool. So that's another option. You can actually help them shortcut that. So that's that's great. So Peter, this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners focus on growing their practices? So just, uh, just one thing, what would you say? One thing, truly look yourself in the mirror every day and say, what am I going to do today to make a client's life better? Might sound corny, but it's true. You have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, what one thing can I do today to make someone else's life better. And if you do that every day, you'll always be advancing forward. And that's it. It's not what you make. I mean, making money, yes, and being able to provide for your family is great. But what can you provide for someone else's family? That's, you know, one day you're going to have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, what did I do? Who did I help? So try and do that every day. Help one person every day. And that will be a huge reward. Extremely precious advice. Peter, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe to ask a couple of questions about transition, maybe consider a couple of options, maybe joining your firm or that franchise model that you just mentioned, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Best way is go online to www.everythingfinancial.com and you can email me at PJC, so Peter John Charles at everythingfinancial.com or uh, my assistant, Shannon, who's my executive assistant who runs all our offices. She runs the company, really. She's the brains behind the operation. If you don't have a good assistant, you'll never survive. And hers is SLA at everythingfinancial.com. And they'll 
get a hold of me. I make sure every day I go through my emails and make sure I respond to everybody within 24 hours. So that's the best way. Fantastic. Peter, thank you so much for coming to the show. I know you had to get up early. You're in Maui right now. I'm in Toronto, so six hours difference and uh, <laughs> you didn't get enough sleep. But uh, I really appreciate the thoughts and the advice and, and what you're doing. And, and thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. But I don't think I'm going to get a lot of sympathy from people when you just said I'm in Maui today. So... <laughs> It's going to be another boring day of about 32 Celsius. It gets down to 25 at night, and it's so boring because it's always the same here, but that's okay. I think you'll survive. <laughs> I will survive. Okay. I will survive. For sure. All righty. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.